Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. One, one pitch. Fastball pulled and Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now, here's Adam, Scott, Heath, and Chris. All right, everybody. Let's do it. Starting pitcher previews. Here we go. We got two episodes for you. This is part one. And we got a big show today because we're on video. Heath, Scott, Chris, <laughs> wave to the camera. Yeah. F- yeah, there you go. I want camera to wave to. Hey, I have no idea. <laughs> this is my first time. FBT on video. Now, if you're listening to the podcast, we're not doing this video live. That might be uh, coming in the future. Who knows? But if you want to see what we look like, uh, I I have a collared shirt on. It's been a long time since that's happened. Go to CBSSports.com. Watch all the videos. How was everybody's weekend? I, I Just changed, great, Adam. I changed a massively corroded car battery, which is the most traditionally masculine thing I've ever done in my life. So... <laughs> It was a good weekend. Congratulations, Chris. That's I went and great. saw Willie Nelson, which was much more fun than that. It was pretty fun. <laughs> that sounds great. And Scott's was good. You know, if we were not on video, I would care more about your weekends. But we are professionals now. So all I care about is fantasy baseball. So uh, what? <laughs> the professional part, I'm really not sure. Yeah, about. Heath, weren't you supposed to dress up for this? No, not at all. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm wearing a baseball shirt. Okay, good. Um, all right, so anyway, uh, starting pitchers, we're going to kind of, I'm sure we're going to probably just talk mostly about the uh, the aces today. How many aces are there? What is your overall starting pitcher strategy? Let's start with that. Um, Scott, what's your st- starting pitcher strategy right now? So my starting pitcher strategy is uh, acknowledging the scarcity of pitchers who are both good and throw a lot of innings. And that's generally my description of ace. And uh, I like to get two of them ideally uh, and usually they're all gone by the end of round five maybe Granky sometimes lasts until six but I like to get I, I like to get two of them uh, in both formats it turns out because even in Roto uh, I yeah I don't I don't want to leave my ERA and whip to the hands of some ones who could completely blow it for me so that's my strategy so two of two of what two of your top what Two of my top, it's been a while since I counted them up, uh, but through Granky, which I think is about, I think it's like 14. I'll get, I'll get you an exact number in a second. Okay, Scott, you're on the clock. Heath, Chris, how about you guys? I'm not quite as optimistic about getting two of my top 14. I'm, I'm, I definitely would like to have a starting pitcher by the end of the third round. And we saw with our last points draft how ugly your staff can look if you're not able to accomplish that. So if I can get one in the first three rounds of the draft, I'd like to have two of my top 24. But maybe more importantly, in terms of tra- strategy, I don't really want to take a starting pitcher from like round five through round nine. Because the guys going in round 10 through 15, I think, have almost exactly the same upside and a much cheaper cost. Okay, you're talking about... So I'm just looking at ADP on Fantasy Pros. Maybe like a Charlie Morton, Robbie Ray. You tell me which ones sound like players you'd want to draft. Both of those sound great. Robbie Ray, too? Yeah. Okay. In in the double-digit rounds, 100%. Yeah, Yeah, he's at the end of round 10. Luis Castillo, Kyle Hendricks, Tanaka, Jay Happ, Chris Archer. Does that sound like a good range? That's a great group of starting pitchers. Okay. And I did not include Carlos Martinez because I don't think we want to take him there. At 137 overall, that ADP will keep getting a little bit lower. Chris, how about you? What are you doing at starting pitcher? 
I tend to go a little differently than everyone else, and I think it's more format-specific in this instance. I think head-to-head points, because of the massive volume that those big starting pitchers can get you, I'm more likely to take someone early, but in a Roto League, the chances of me taking someone in the first two rounds in particular are pretty slim, just because I don't think, especially once you get past really Scherzer, I think everyone else has enough question marks that I'm okay waiting and taking someone like usually Trevor Bauer in the third round has actually become a guy who I like taking a lot, and I've come around a lot on him uh, since the start of draft season. Oh, yeah, man. That's kind of what I am aiming for. I I will take Scherzer, you know, seventh, eighth overall, something like that, but Sale and Kluber make me a little nervous. Verlander's really old, and he's thrown a lot of innings, including in the postseason. DeGrom just had by far his best season. It's hard to see him doing that again. Um, I love Sever. I think Severino and Bauer to me are round three pitchers that I'm very excited about. Uh, if I and I typically go with that. Just that's sort of the way I've been doing fantasy baseball for so long now. It's like two hitters and then a pitcher. Just seems to be a good way to start. And you're looking at. At the end of round three, you're looking at Garrett Cole. Well, he's more early round three. Uh, maybe I'd Blake's, love to get Garrett yeah, Cole in the third. Yeah, he's 26. Blake Snell's 29th. Severino's 33rd. Clayton Kershaw's 34th, but that's probably getting lower. Uh, Bauer, Syndergaard, yeah. Carrasco. It's a good range right there. You I could take two of them. I think there's a round and a half of hitters that you could uh, you, you could say are first-round caliber. I mean, Harper typically goes in the second round. Machado typically goes in the second round. Obviously, we're used to seeing them in the first round. So other than Scherzer, and I put Sale in there also, there's not really a pitcher I would consider drafting in that range. It's once you see uh, a little bit of a drop-off at hitter when, you know, it it goes to like... uh, like Rizzo? I don't know. Freddie Freeman, Freddie Freeman and Charlie Blackman are right on the borderline there for me. Mm-hmm. But I think Goldschmidt's definitely among the hitters that I want to pass up. Machado, Harper, like I said. And then it gets a little questionable. So wait, you're, you're, you take Scherzer ahead of those hitters and Sale, you said? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Scherzer and Sale, I would take in that range. I'm, you know, exactly when depends, but it would be in that range. I, I think Second half of round two is the first point I would consider any other starting pitcher beyond Scherzer and Sale. If we could talk about the aces, let's say the top five pitchers who are going in the first 21 picks. Scherzer's ADP is actually fourth overall. DeGrom is 11. Sale is basically tied with him at 11th. Kluber, 19th. Verlander, 21st. Kreeth, how do you feel about those top five pitchers? Are they safe? Are they too risky? Worth the the investment, you know. What do you think, Scherzer, Degrom, Sale, Kluber, Verlander? I couldn't take Scherzer at four, but I think he's about as safe as any pitcher can ever be. He's been absolutely awesome, and yes, he's thrown a ton of innings, and his arm's going to stop working the way that it has. Well, that's point. yeah, and that's the thing. He's thirty four years old, right? Like he he's it's gonna stop. Like it's the same thing with Justin Verlander and Corey Kluber, both of whom are are in their early to mid, and I think in Justin Verlander's case, he's like thirty seven, right? This is. It's a risky group. Chris Sale's velocity fell a lot last year in the end of the season when he was dealing with that shoulder injury. Uh, DeGrom has always been very good, but he made a leap. I'm never going to draft the guy coming off a career year at a premium. So they are as safe as starting pitchers get, which is sort of damning with faint praise in my eyes. Yeah, Kluber's uh, 33 in April. Verlander's 36, so you're very close. 
Um, when would you guys take Max Scherzer then? If fourth is too early, when's when's the right time for Scherzer? I'm fine with sixth in a points league. I'm not taking him before Altuve or Arenado. I think that's fair. Scott? Yeah, and I might go seventh in a roto league, also putting J.D. Martinez ahead of him. How about uh, Trey Turner in a roto league or Max Scherzer? I'd rather have Turner. I'd rather have Turner. I think I'd rather have Scherzer. So it so, seems... I don't like to block shortstop, so I can't get Mondesi, you know? <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, in a roto league, you can just put him at middle infield. Scott, what if Mondesi's not good? You're going to have a terrible year. He's going to be good for steals. Okay. That much right, but he might not be good. <laughs> if he's playing, he'll get steals. He'll get the, he'll be worth starting because there are so many, there's so few steal sources. So, uh, more starting pitcher, uh, questions here. How many, eight, how many number one starting pitchers do you think there are? Scott, you, is it Granky you think is okay being your ace? So that's 14 for you? Yep, the count, I had it right. It is 14 that I would be happy, including as my ace. Most people wouldn't have Granky as high as 14. He's he's someone who makes it easy for me to get that second ace because I can pretty much count on him being there in round five. I don't know why people are so down on him, but whatever. He's so consistent. He puts up ace numbers, 200 innings, about 200 strikeouts every year with a good ERA and whip. Uh, I'm sorry, but that's an ace. Uh, I would include Patrick Corbin in there. But you know that's 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 getting kind of fringy. Some people include Walker Bueller in there, but I I like to see the innings first before I really trust in a player as an ace. Heath, what about you? How many how many aces are there? How many guys that you'd feel comfortable with as your number one? There are so many tiers within that group, but I, I think I'd probably say eleven, ending at Noah Syndergaard at eleven. Okay, I, I feel. Really, I, I'd almost stop it at eight with Garrett Cole because Carrasco, Bauer, and Syndergaard, the next three, you do have some questions. Syndergaard, it's mostly health. But I'd call all those guys aces. Cut it just shy of Luis Severino at 12. Okay. So, you know, round three, round four, I think we all want to have at least one starting pitcher. And you're not, we're not guys who go crazy on starting pitcher. I don't think we're going to start our draft with two pitchers or anything like that, even in a points league. Doesn't mean you can't win that way. It's just not typically how we do it. Uh, some stats about starting pitchers. 15, all right, so we know the trends, right? Guys aren't throwing as many innings now. Three years ago, uh, the, the number of 200-inning pitchers hasn't really changed that much. 15, two, uh, three years ago, 15, two years ago, 13 last year. But you look at the number of 190-inning pitchers. Uh, it, was a, it was 30 of them in 2016, then 18 in 2017, back up to 23. But that's still low compared to 30. Just three seasons ago. What kind of ERA are you looking for? Uh, of the top 30 starting pitchers in both points and roto, only six had an ERA higher than 350. So a 350 ERA or lower, 24 out of the top 30 starting pitchers had that. The six who did not were Jay Happ. He was 17 and six. Herman Marquez, he had 230 strikeouts. Rick Porcello, 17 and seven. David Price, 16 and seven. Jose Barrios was 28th. He had 202 strikeouts and a, and a 1.14 whip. And James Paxton was 30th. He had 208 strikeouts and a 110 whip. But I don't know. Maybe you want to look at guys with a sub-350 ERA unless they're going to be really good at something like strikeouts or wins, which is a little hard to predict. Uh, some more stats to consider. Max Scherzer's been a top-three starting pitcher three straight seasons. Over his last four seasons, he has a 271 ERA, a .93 whip, and he has averaged 282 strikeouts per season. Scherzer just gives you a huge edge. Verlander's been a top three starting pitcher in two of his last three seasons. But oddly enough, uh, 2018 was Verlander's first 
sub-3 ERA season since 2012. He has thrown a combined 242 and two-thirds innings in 2017, and then 231 and a third in 2018. A lot of postseason work for Justin Verlander. How good was Chris Sale last year? He averaged more fantasy points per inning pitch than both Verlander and Sale. And I got some more stats that we could go through, but... Sure, sir. Uh, yeah, sorry. The, Verlander, Verlander insert. insert yeah. uh, but these, uh, these stats will kind of come up, I think, organically. So, I don't know if this is getting too, too much into sleepers, breakouts, and busts. I think, uh, this is a separate question, but how do you, I'll start with Scott. As you've done your draft so far, which starting pitchers do you find yourself drafting most often? I think Granky is going to be one of those guys. <laughs> yeah, Granky would be answer, uh, number one. I am getting many, many shares of Herman Marquez. I feel like, uh, I, I feel like people, I, I mean, I don't feel like you have to pay for what he can be, first of all, based on what he did in the second half. And I, I feel like people are just generally less enthusiastic about him than I am. Uh, those are probably the main two. Let me see if I can come up with the third here. Uh, I tend to get, I guess a lot of, I, I tend to get a lot of Joe Musgrove, I guess. And you Darvish. You Darvish is another one who I feel like people are just a little more pessimistic about than I am, uh, considering the kind of injury he's coming back from. I, I don't really feel like that's going to be something that's going to hold him back this year. Yeah, Armand Marquez, his last 13 starts, he had a 225 ERA. He struck out 118 batters in 88 innings. And he had a 299 Babip, so it wasn't like, you know, he was totally lucky. 16% swinging strike strike rate, 12 quality starts and 13 starts, did not allow more than three run runs in any start. And in those 13 starts, Marquez had nine starts of seven or more innings, including home starts, great home starts against Oakland, St. Louis, San Francisco, Arizona, and Philadelphia. So Marquez was just unbelievable down the stretch. It, it was yeah, amazing. It, it was as loud and definitive of a breakout as I can remember seeing. And are we and buying from, from it? From a Rockies pitcher. Yeah, but but are we buying it? Like, how surprised are yeah, you I'm, that Marquez is this good? What's his pedigree say about what kind of pitcher he should be? I mean, he throws 98. He has two swing and miss breaking balls. Uh, he made he made some adjustments to his delivery in terms of how he stands on the mound and in terms of fixing his release point because it was pretty varied between the three pitches. Basically, he was kind of tipping his pitches each time, and he figured that out. And so the stuff really played up. You know, the, the Colorado thing gives me some hesitation because how many pitchers have been good for the Rockies? Uh, you know, Obaldo Jimenez was in Cy Young contention one year, but in terms of historical significance, that's about it. But I think Marquez, because the splits were so, uh, even when he dominated and because the stuff is just that good, I, I, I think I'm willing to overlook the Coors Field thing in round, you know, seven or eight or where he tends to go in a 12 team league. And to answer the pedigree question specifically, he's was never a top 50 prospect on any rankings list. He never averaged more than a strikeout per inning in the minor leagues. This was a lot out of nowhere. And sometimes guys just make drastic improvements in one pitch or two pitches, and then it sticks. But there was not a lot of evidence to show this coming from anywhere. Uh, and look, Ubaldo Jimenez was a big-time prospect. I don't know why—sorry. Um this is an exact conversation that we would have had in 2010, right? About Jimenez. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that necessarily means that he's not going to be good, but 
it's really hard to consistently pitch well at Coors Field. John Gray was a much better prospect. His stuff is arguably just as good, and he hasn't been able to figure it out. Maybe Marquez does have the magic sauce that can work in Coors Field consistently, but I'm a little scared. I think you have to be. And and I don't disagree with Scott that it's a good value where he's going. I think you, you've priced in enough of the discount, but I also don't think the super, super high ceiling is there because of the park, park he lives in or pitches in. I don't think Probably he lives doesn't. Yeah, he lives close. there. Well, he's got to get a contract. He sure. <laughs> Maybe. He'll get um, a raise and be able to afford an apartment. But Marquez is going 101st overall, 27th starting pitcher off the board. Scott has him 18th. Heath has him 25th. And I don't feel like he lasts to, to pick 100 in our draft. So I'd be very happy to have him because that's probably my third, maybe fourth starter at that point. And that would be, you know, really good value. Um, all right, Chris, how about some pitchers you find yourself drafting off? And you, you mentioned Trevor Bauer. Who else do you see on a lot of your teams right now? Yeah, interestingly, I got a lot of guys that I think are risky, but the upside's there. So Trevor Bauer, uh, Aaron Nola, Noah Syndergaard, and Steven Strasburg as my aces are probably the most ob- ob- uh, obvious ones. And then Marco Gonzalez as a late-round guy is someone that I've taken pretty much everywhere. I don't get why people just don't think he's good. His ADP is like, I think it's like 400. And um, he was good last year. For all the, it's 252. For, for all the reasons <laughs> that were, ex- I mean, that might as well. Be. <laughs> Basically 400. It might as well be. Um, it's late, yeah. I've, I've gotten him that late. Uh, for all the reasons that we think Nick Pavetta's a top 25 pitcher, there's just as many to think Marco Gonzalez should be a top 30 pitcher or a top 35 pitcher and he's going 70th at the position. I mean, it's all, it's obvious why he's not being taken there, and it's because he doesn't strike anybody out. Okay. And I'm not saying that's a good reason. I'm saying there is a bias in the industry against guys that have a K per nine below eight. Sure, but like, put him up next to Miles Michaelis, and he looks like a very similar pitcher. Yes. Um, yeah, I, they're both, they're both standouts and ground balls and walks. He's had some health problems, right? Yes. Yeah. Like a lot of them. Uh, he, he dealt with a neck injury last year, but he did make 29 starts. Right. All right. So Marco Gonzalez, uh, whether you can get him at 250 or 400, if you're Chris, good value. Good value at both spots. And, if I can find him at 400, I'm all over it. Go ahead, Scott. He's a significantly better, like he's not a good strikeout pitcher in a general sense, but he is better than Michaelis. I'm, I'm down with Gonzalez too. I've, I've drafted him in, um, at least the last two drafts I've done. Did you get him at 400? <laughs> Not that late, though. No. <laughs> okay. uh, Heath, who are you drafting? Look, we talked about it before the show. The Diet Coke machine's not working. Can you give me a break? <laughs> yeah, you got to kick that habit, man. Um, oh, he- Chris Archer's another pitcher I draft a lot. I forgot to mention him. Let's make sure we name them all before Heath goes. Yeah, Heath. Basically. Heath, who are some other pitchers that Scott drafts a lot? Heath, please tell us. <laughs> um, I'm trying to not make the same mistake that Chris just made and give you my sleeper pitcher oh, there's lots before I get to sleepers, breakouts, and busts. So I will say I draft uh, several Cardinals a lot. Um, I get Jack Flaherty quite a bit, even though Chris hates him, maybe because Chris hates him. I draft Miles Michaelis a lot. I think he is a great combination in a Roto League. If you're going to take a couple of upside pitchers, he will help keep the ratios down while those guys strike everybody out. Um, I also seem to find myself in uh, drafting Kenta Maeda quite a bit. And he's RP eligible as well. We talked about him a little bit on that show. And if there's one more late, I, I probably out of this group take Jesus Lazardo more than anybody else. All right. I, I want to talk about Miles Michaelis because he's going right around Herman Marquez area a little bit after pick 100. And I'm terrified. Uh, 
I feel like, okay, I'm not really a big FIP, XFIP guy, but he had a 328 FIP, a 367 XFIP. If Michaelis has like a 350 ERA, and he had a, he had 146 strikeouts and 202 thirds, but if he has like a 350 ERA instead of 283, which is reasonable, I, I think he's going to be disappointing. He was 18 and four. That was part of the reason why Michaelis went, was eighth in points, 13th in roto. I, I just, I just, don't like a guy with this low of a strikeout rate. Um, I noticed, though, in his last four starts, I don't know if this means anything, but he was like a strikeout machine almost. He had 27 strikeouts and 27 innings and a 14% swinging strike rate. I didn't see anything that changed. I looked at all the lineups he faced. It wasn't like he was facing a bunch of September call-ups. I didn't see the arsenal change, according to Brooks Baseball. So there's that glimmer of hope. But I'm just very concerned about taking Miles Michaelis as my, I don't want him as my number three, maybe as my number four. And I think he's going to be a pretty divisive guy. There are going to be people with, with different thoughts on him. Great control, a lot of ground balls. But that's the thing, like, he's, he is a big time ground ball pitcher, but that usually leads to a higher whip. And he had a 1.07 whip. So I just feel like he well, was, he lucky. never walks. Anyway. Yeah, but, but 279 Babbitt, like for a big time ground ball pitcher, doesn't, didn't it seem a little lucky to you guys? I'm, I'm not, uh, sure. Very hesitant sure, with Miles Michaelis. And but I feel like, you know, I'm sorry, last point. I feel like if you're going to draft Miles Michaelis, you have to overpay for strikeouts. Or at least, you know, if you took Scherzer, then maybe you, you don't take though, him. because they're so cheap in the, in the double digit rounds. Strikeouts? You know, find, yes. Well, you can find strikeout per nine. What you're hoping yeah, is that those with the turn into like a Nick Pavetta going to 190 innings and getting you 250 strikeouts. All right, so I mean, Robbie Ray, Rich Hill, really, really cheap. Oh, what's no? They're not. Robbie Ray is not very cheap. Robbie Ray is going ahead of my or just after the, Miles Michaelis. The one thing I will say with Michaelis is, um, according to the Aces metric by Aaron Sauceda that you can find on Sportsline.com, he was actually in the 82nd percentile in stuff. Now, that does take into account command, which would be a place that we would expect someone like Miles Michaelis to shine, but. All three of his secondary pitches rate out really well by this metric. So it is possible that there's more upside. You know, he doesn't, he's not Kyle Hendricks throwing 86. No, and, and he had a, like, I know this doesn't correlate perfectly, but he had a 9.6% swinging strike rate. We've seen a lot. I don't think that's too far from where Jamison Tyone's been. Yeah, that's it's about just, average. It's not good, but it's not 6.5K per nine. So I would expect he's going to strike out a few more hitters next year, this year. All right. Uh, who are you avoiding? Heath, I'll start with you. Well, I, I appreciate that, Adam. I was hoping <laughs> that I get you to go first it. on one of these, and it uh, it feels good that I do. I I have not drafted, I don't think, once David Price or Madison Bumgarner. I'm just scared of both. I think there's a chance that either one of them could just be almost done this year. And I, I hate it for Bumgarner because he's not old enough to where we should be concerned about that, but he just has not been a dominant pitcher at all over the last two seasons. I don't get very much Cole Hamels because I don't really buy into the he was good for the last two months on the Cubs. He was, but he was awful before that. And I don't think the difference between Texas and Chicago was enough to make it that much of a difference in the way he pitched. All right, Chris. That was very efficient. Thank you, Heath. Chris? Blake Snell, Walker Bueller, and Patrick Corbin. Chris hates good pitchers. I do. I'm totally with you. Um, no, I- I'm, I'm not going... The innings from five to ninety-seven to one hundred and seventy-six in three seasons for Bueller. That's yeah, and I think it was a little higher than ninety-seven because you have to count playoffs, right? Or is that ninety-seven including the playoffs? Uh, two years ago, um, 
I don't know. It counts yeah, the minus. Either way, it was a massive jump in, in, in innings pitch. This is a guy who's had Tommy John surgery. He looks really good, but people are talking about him like he's already Noah Syndergaard, and I've seen him go ahead of Noah Syndergaard in some drafts. Just take Noah Syndergaard then. Right. I, I, I think he's really, really talented. I don't want like, – Blake Snell and Patrick Corbin as well. It just feels like you have to pay a premium for guys – and it's not quite baking in enough of the inherent risk that comes with the kind of profiles that these three guys have. Okay, so Snell, I, why why are you avoiding Blake Snell? Um, he's being drafted really high, sometimes in the top five at starting pitcher, always within the top eight or nine, and I think he's really good. I think you're paying the premium of him having one of the great starting pitcher seasons of the last 20 years. He's not a guy who goes deep into games. They're not taking him number one. No. But, but like, they're getting a little of a discount of what he did last year. I don't think he was the number one starting pitcher. He was, in uh, last year, well, was he? he was sixth in points, third in Roto. He had a DL yeah, stint. Third. And, and I know, Heath, you're, or Chris, you're going to cite the workload for Snell. Um, he no. was, oh, no, okay. I'm, I'm really not that, con- it, for me, it's the innings. Like, yeah, that's not, what I meant. not the injuries. It's the, he doesn't go deep into games. And that was with, his control taking a big step forward. Maybe he sustains that, but we see a lot. You know, we talk a lot about with strikeouts, where you know Giancarlo Stanton being a good example of a guy who made a big leap in strikeouts and then wasn't able to sustain that. That happens all the time with control, too. If he can be a 3.5 walks per nine guy, then maybe he can get to six innings per start and, and become that high-volume pitcher. He can. But, he can. He did it. He did it before his DL stint. And then after he came back from the, he had shoulder fatigue after returning that, from the DL. Well, he, but I'm just saying, exactly he was, argument in his favor. but he was being used <laughs> 6.1 innings per start before the DL stint. Right. Okay. Plus, so he was just over six innings per start. So non ace workload before he, was he had to go on the DL with shoulder fatigue. And then he was way yeah, under. Perfect. That. No problem. This is no the problem. argument. This is the argument against <laughs> what I'm saying. Yeah, exactly. But I just want to point. Uh, yeah, he They were at least doing that at, at first with him. All right, Scott. Who are you avoiding? So I am avoiding. I was avoiding Kershaw, but now I feel like the panic level has risen so high with his spring injuries that he's actually becoming something of a value. So I'm not avoiding him quite as much anymore. Uh, when, when would you take? When would you take? Uh, sorry, when would you take Kershaw? So I just took him in. Uh, I think in round eight of a 10 team league. But so we're talking that 70 to 80 range. That seems about right. Particularly in leagues where, where pitching is, uh, is especially a priority. So. Okay. Yeah, I'd be willing to gamble on him then because he is going to pitch this year. You know, it, he might have a season opening DL stint. I suspect there will be another DL stint to rest his back along the way. But, you know, he's, he's going to be good enough. Like, he's got to be must-start when he's healthy, probably. And uh, not as dominant as years past, but nobody's paying anywhere close to that anymore. So I, I don't think he's somebody I'm so much avoiding. If the if his ADP continues to slide, like I feel like it has. Mike fulton is another one I'm avoiding. He's on my bus list. He was, you know, he has an elbow issue going on this spring, so maybe his ADP will slide to a point where I'm comfortable with it again. But so far, I haven't seen as much evidence of that. Yeah, he took a big leap in strikeouts last year, but with not such an impressive swinging strike rate. And looks like he had bad luck. Looks like he had home run luck. Um, 
And beyond that, the FIP was higher than the ERA. So I feel like he's probably, his ERA probably should be more in the mid threes to four range. And I'm not confident he's going to have that impressive of a strikeout rate again. Kershaw and Fulton for Scott avoiding. Oh, well, not Kershaw anymore. If he's going in the 70 to 80 range, Scott's going to jump there, but uh, Fulton not so much. So here comes uh, probably a pretty repetitive portion of the show. We're going to do sleepers, breakouts, and busts. <laughs> then we're going to get into ADP review. Hey, maybe we can go through sleepers, breakouts, and busts pretty quickly. And I don't think I really asked you this, but when do you guys take your third starting pitcher? Um, so we'll certainly uh, get into that. And, of course, this is a two-parter. So tomorrow, I'm assuming, we'll get to about 20 pitchers in ADP today. And then tomorrow, um, we'll, we'll do what we can to finish it. I imagine on Wednesday, we'll do some late-round flyers and stuff like that. Uh, let's do sleepers, breakouts, and busts. We're coming right back after this. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more for way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long for just $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to buy now. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, among others. They'll do all of that so you can do literally anything else. You have better things to do with your free time than focus on your lawn care. Let True Green take care of all the hard work it takes to get a great lawn while you take care of everything else on your to-do list. You can trust True Green to give you the best lawn because they are the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. They offer a satisfaction guarantee and they have a verified best price promise which gives you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. Think about how hard it is to manage our fantasy baseball teams. You need all the time you can get to put in waiver wire claims, fab bids, send out trades, and set your lineups. You'll have that extra time when True Green is taking care of your lawn. You do you, let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people, guaranteed. So, here we go. Sleepers, breakouts, and busts. Who's ready? Uh, Scott White. Favorite sleepers? Uh, Nick Pavetta is obviously a trendy one. So trendy, in fact, that I haven't been able to draft him. <laughs> so probably going to skip that one. I, I like Colin McHugh a lot, who's uh, re-entering the rotation for the Astros and um, has had some really good years as a starter in the past. I don't think workload's going to be a concern for him because he's already proven he can be that guy who throws 180-plus innings. And obviously, he's going to have a great supporting cast. He has been a big strikeout pitcher at times, kind of got away from that before moving to the rotation. But he added the Brad Peacock slider to his arsenal now, which helped him uh, get that strikeout rate back up in the bullpen. So I think there's a good chance he's kind of a kind of a sneaky ace for he could be anyway for the Astros. And then uh, I also like Zach Eflin, if you want to look a little deeper, guy who started throwing a lot harder. Last year, the strikeout rate went up. There were some inconsistencies, but I, I feel like there's something there for him to work with, and he's he's a next-to-nothing cost. Colin McHugh and Zach Eflin for Scott. Heath, uh, your sleepers. Yeah, I'll go with Zach Godley. I was just looking at an NFBA 
NFBC ADP. It's a lot of letters. Mm -hmm. Since February 1st, he is the 96th pitcher off the board at pick 246. That's including relief pitchers as well. And he had a bit of a rough year last year, but he also had a pretty unlucky year. 324 Babbitt allowed 67% strand rate. His FIP was 382. His Sierra was just under four. He still struck out better than a batter per inning. If the control gets just a little better than it was last year, back around three walks per nine like it was in 2016, 2017, I think he's pretty reliably a top 40 starting pitcher. Zach Godley, anyone else you want to mention? Well, we're going to have deep sleepers later, but I I really like Luke Weaver quite a bit going in that Paul Goldschmidt trade to the Arizona Diamondbacks. It was just a year ago we were pretty excited about his potential. He had a down year, also a bit of an unlucky year, but for the Aces metric that Chris has cited on here before, I think he was in the 81st percentile Mm -hmm. and definitely looks like a guy that could be a change of scenery guy. Chris, a couple sleepers? Vince Velasquez, who... If you're looking for a, a narrative with him, he did start working with a mental health coach uh, in the offseason, and the idea is that he gets too amped up, especially when runners are on base. He's got like a 66% left on base percentage for his career. If he can start to normalize that and become a better pitcher with men on base, he has, I mean, we've, we've seen the really good starts from Vince Velasquez. They're, his potential is not that much different than Nick Pavetta's, I think. And yeah, I'll throw Michael yeah. Pineda, who has pretty much the same ADP. Uh, he was throwing 94-95 in his most recent spring start. Obviously, he was a really exciting pitcher a few years ago. Tommy John surgery, inconsistency. He's never going to be the ace that we hoped he would be. But at 352nd or whatever his ADP is right now, I think he's well worth the uh, risk. Okay, I don't really trust you with ADP after the whole Marco Gonzalez incident, but... Sorry, it was 356. <laughs> My bad. All right, so uh, Scott said... I don't said know if I buy that at all. Eflin and McHugh, and... Ooh, Eflin and McHugh sounds really mean. Um, Godley and Weaver for Heath, <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> it does, and Velasquez and Pineda for Chris, among others. There are a lot of pitchers <laughs> to talk about. Also, Nick Pavetta is sort of the industry favorite. Like, Blake Snell was the industry favorite, I think, last year. I don't think we're going to project Nick Pavetta to be the number six pitcher in baseball. Yeah, but um, people are we very probably excited. get into why, why people like Nick. Uh, Pavetta, I think right? I, I I want to save it for tomorrow because um, I, I feel like we're going to run okay. out of time to talk about the uh, the aces here. But maybe he'll be someone's breakout. And, and just keep in mind the Phillies' defense is going to be a lot better this year. So we've already heard Pavetta, Eflin, and Velasquez. That's there's part of the reason is defense. Okay, Scott, breakouts. Yeah, a lot of high babbits for that trio. Uh, breakouts. I like Tyler Glass now to break out for the Rays. Already kind of showed signs af- of it after going over from Pittsburgh last year. The strike percentage went up to higher than it ever was in Pittsburgh, and the walks went down. And that's obviously a key. A guy has great stuff, but he needs to throw strikes. Uh, the the K per nine uh was up I think it was up over ten per nine even in the starting role. So clearly good stuff. He can get it over the plate. There was a home run issue with the Rays that got the ERA over four despite the success he was having, but it I kind of feel like that's a small sample size thing. And I'm not saying he won't have trouble with home runs, but not to the exaggerated degree that he did. I, I think there's a ton of ups I think there's ace upside here. And he's relief pitcher eligible, which is nice. Tyler Glass now. Okay. Heath breakout yeah, I'll go with uh, Shane Bieber, who's going right in that same range as Zach Godley. And he was 
listen, everything that I believe in from last year makes him look like he's just a very good pitcher who had a terribly unlucky year. We may find out this year there's some reason for those for that bad luck and that he's just not very good with runners on base or he just gives up too much hard contact when it matters. But better than a strikeout per inning, extremely good control pitcher and has been throughout his minor league career and then also gets a lot of ground balls. His FIP was 3.23 last year. His Sierra was 3.45. This looks like a top 30 starting pitcher on a team that should provide him with a lot of wins. Even last year, he only made 19 starts, had a 4.55 ERA, and still won 11 games. This kid could be really good. Yep, Shane Bieber, definitely good for team names as well. Chris, breakout. So Nick Pavetta is off the board? Go ahead. Uh, No, go. Let's talk about it. Nick Pavetta, everything that Heath just said about Shane Bieber, as far as luck, as far as FIP, as far as basically everything that you could look at that we believe tells you about how good a pitcher is, says that he was not just good. He was like top 15 in baseball good. Um, you know, by the Aces metric, he's a top 15 pitcher in terms of stuff. You watch him pitch, he throws hard, he's got good secondary pitches. There might be some kind of mental block. There might be some kind of you know, maybe he p- tips his pitches. Maybe there's something that explains why he can't make the jump that we we think he can. And I always think of like Ricky Nolasco as a guy who probably could have benefited from throwing fewer strikes. Maybe Nick Pavetta is that kind of guy. And maybe it's it's a little bit of a uh, a mirage his walk rate. But there are too many indicators that say this guy has ace potential. It's right, kind of I feel like the reciprocal argument to Mike Fultonevich where, okay, Pavetta has a great walk rate. He has the swinging strikes that back up the strikeout rate. He just had bad BABIP luck and maybe maybe even some bad home run luck. So I, I he's exciting. He, he might also be Michael Pineda. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, the, the, the you know, the things that, the one thing that indicates uh, that would indicate that Pavetta and, and maybe, who else are we talking about? Bieber? Bieber. Are not Ready, I agree with you guys. I'm just saying, like, the game log. <laughs> you know, there's just a lot of bad starts there. A lot of really good ones. They just, but they're young. Actually, they haven't put it together yet, I, you know? I noticed something really interesting with Bieber where his, like, 10 best starts, his walk rate was, like, 7%, and his 8 or 9 worst starts, whatever the number was, his walk rate was, like, 3%. He is definitely a guy who is better when he throws fewer strikes because yeah. he's got good stuff but not great stuff. So right. he needs to be outside of the strike zone a little more often. All right, let's do bust real quick here, guys. we got to get into ADP uh, as much as we can. Um, let's go Scott, Heath, Chris. Give me a, a bust or two. I do think Kershaw still has total bottom-out bust potential, but the one I'm even more concerned about is Madison Bumgarner, who we talked a little bit about at the top. But velocity down for two years in a row, swinging strike rate down, uh, strikeout rate was down. And last year seemingly because he needed to figure out some way to get out. The walk rate shot up, too. So I, I think it's career worst strikeout rate, career-high walk rate, and everything is just trending the wrong direction. I feel like Bumgarner is hanging by a thread here. If he doesn't show skills improvement this year, uh, then I, I, you know, there, he, he might be on the verge of disaster. Got absolutely rocked in his first spring start too. Yeah, he bounced back though. His second good spring in the start second, was good. But, yeah. He's going seventy uh, fifth. Yeah, seventy <laughs> fifth <75th laughs> overall for Bob Gardner. That's twenty second pitcher off the board in between Jamison Tyone and Jose Barrios. Uh, Heath bust. 
Uh, I'm going with Fulte, Mike Fultonovich. And Scott said something funny the other day. He may not be a bust now because this injury might cause his ADP to fall long enough. If if an elbow injury is what's going to keep you from being a bust, you're probably a bust. (laughs) I just don't really buy into anything that he did last year. The walk rate didn't really improve. The swinging strike rate didn't go up enough to make him look like a great strikeout pitcher. He posted a 251 BABIP against, which is great, but I don't believe he really has that much control over it. A career-high strand rate. He's a high threes ERA pitcher, I think, in a good case scenario. So Bumgarner for Scott, Fultonevich for Heath. Chris, how about you? Jack Flaherty. Um, Scott, come on, Chris. He, what's that? Come on. What? Don't say that. Why? <laughs> don't say that. Say Walker Bueller. No, I, I think Walker Bueller is much better than Jack Flaherty as a pitcher. Uh, I think he's probably being drafted too high because of innings concerns. But Jack Flaherty has innings concerns because he averaged about 5.3 uh, innings per But if you throw 180 year. innings in a season, that's that's pl- plenty good to be a top 25 pitcher. Right. Maybe he will do that. He did last year. Between the majors and minors. Right. What was his start innings per start in the majors? Just barely. It was 31 innings. So, like it did not have a huge impact. Well, it was 31 innings over five starts. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's a that's a much higher end. Probably innings. three to four more. He innings. is not an efficient pitcher. He is not. He has not been good through the third time in the order. He doesn't really for for all the hype that we're putting on him. Uh, the aces metric doesn't think that he has great stuff. Uh, above average, sure, but he's between. Derek Holland and Chase Anderson at the 58th percentile. Um, What about the strikeouts, though? I mean, what's more important? Because 182 strikeouts in 151 innings says great stuff. But and I'm not. And the Aces metric is very cool. So what? You know, how do you sort of combine those two? He will strike a lot of guys out. I just think there's the potential. This feels a lot like Robbie Ray a year ago, because he doesn't have good control. Um, he doesn't have Robbie Ray. Like 3.5 walks per nine is like could get the that. Best case he has below average control. Robbie Ray had some disastrous sure, but in his past, like Jack Flaherty was at 9.6 percent walk rate. That's pretty bad. That's not that. I think Robbie Ray was like 11 percent the year before. All right, let's uh, let's good. so so right. Flaherty and the thing about Flaherty is that he's I mean he is going pretty pretty high. He's 19 pitcher off the board, 66th. I guess that's a Fair range. Uh, right after Granky, before Clevenger, before Tyone, before Bumgarner, before Barrios. Uh, you know, we're certainly seeing a point it's, where the, the pitchers are losing their luster <laughs> in ADP. Yeah. I mean, I, I have Jack Flair in my breakouts 1.0. I have Jack Flaherty there. It, it may just be that the price tag is too high to, um, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of presumed breakout is baked in there. But I, I don't, I'm not as much of a downer as Chris. I mean, you look at his minor league track record. He was, control wasn't an issue there. He had two walks per nine at Memphis last year and the year before in the minors, it was 2.1 per nine. Like it all, if you look at the game log, the, where he had trouble pitching deep into games were the starts where he struggled with walks. And if he has the ability to throw strikes that he's demonstrated in the past, I think the fact that the Cardinals let him pitch deep in the games when the pitch count didn't get way up on him, uh, I think indicates there might be, if he can overcome that control thing, then he is on the verge of, of being an ace. Can I, can I ask one question? Here sure. We go. You can ask two. What was his K per nine the years when he was walking not that many guys? 11.6 last year. No. Yeah. Uh, yeah. In, in, okay. In 31 7. innings before that. 
Okay, and tw- in 2017 when it was 2.1, like, it was uh, right out of strikeout per inning. Okay. Like th- these aren't these aren't 10.8. We're drafting him to be an elite strikeout guy. That was that was Azer's rebuttal to me saying that he might not be that good as well. 180 strikeouts in 150 innings. Well, if he's a strikeout per inning guy, if he's a less than a strikeout per inning guy, which he pretty much was most of his minor league career with the exception of last year, maybe he improves the command. But there's also a really a, a pretty decent chance that he's, the strikeouts aren't there the way we hope they are. All right, it's gonna, a lot of wishing. I'm going to call an audible, and I don't know if we're going to get to ADP. We're going to do a bit of a shorter show today. We have about 10 minutes left. I want to talk more about structuring your, your pitching staff. And um, tomorrow will probably be like full average draft position, uh, one you know one through seventy ish, something like that. But yeah, let's talk about more about when you want. Let's talk about more about. Let's talk more about. There we go. When you want to get your number three starting pitcher. And by the way, I haven't uh, given everybody the reminder, but I'm reminding you now. If you want to play on CBSSports.com, you would be a very smart person. Go to CBSSports.com/fbt and sign up for our commissioner league. It is awesome, especially if you're, you know, like really into customizing your stats, your rosters, all that stuff. Um, Dynasty leagues, the in-app tools are amazing. CBSSports.com slash FBT. Get in the uh, commissioner product. All right, but yeah, what what else do you want to say about if somebody says, hey, I've never done fantasy baseball before. How should I draft pitchers? When should I draft pitchers? Heath, what would you say to this stranger who just approached you on the street because you're wearing a shirt that says Babip on it? It does say BABIP and WOBA and FIP, XFIP. So yeah, I, I think what I said very, very early in the show kind of goes back to this. There is this range of starting pitchers and it probably starts about with Chris Archer where they should probably be based on the guys that are going in the sixth, seventh, eighth round. They should probably be pitchers that go in the sixth, seventh or eighth round, but they're available starting in round 10 and much, much later. Nick Pavetta, a guy we talked about a lot, 13. Shane Bieber, round 13. So for me, the way to draft starting pitcher is I would like to, like Scott said, have two very good, maybe top 20 starting pitchers in the first four or five rounds, maybe sixth round of the draft. After that, I'm waiting until those value pitchers for my number three pitcher. I'm fine if my number three is Chris Archer. I'm fine if it's Nick Pavetta. But what I'd like to do is have three or four of those guys. I don't really want to wait for my fifth starter until the end of the draft. I'd like to have Bieber, Pavetta, and Archer as my three, four, five, or something like that. Hmm. All right. I I don't think I'm that risky with starting pitcher. Uh I f- I'm, look again, I'm not saying you're wrong. That could definitely work. I think you're drafting those like especially Archer, you're pretty much drafting at his floor. There is zero risk. There's zero risk? He's not that good. He's <laughs> three straight years with an ERA. You don't get- yeah. No, he's gonna throw enough innings and strike out enough hitters to be worth an, a tenth round pick. Um. Oh, all right. Maybe. Now, I, I think there's. I think that there's a case to be made for Archer because he's out of the AL East and he was pitching hurt last year. But if he is what he's been, he's an ERA over four and an, a WHIP over one point two four. Three but straight he's years. Also, two hundred innings and two hundred thirty to forty strikeouts. But not last year. Like if you get hung up on the ERA, you're not going to like Archer. But no. if you get Scott, hung up ERA on the, the whip, the ERA, the whip, and the whip. He is a one category guy. He is a one category guy. He, that he, that's true. Yeah, he throws a ton of innings. That's him. not a category. He's all you're getting is strikeouts. 
that's it. it. It's a ton of, it's like a, it's like among the league leaders in strikeouts though. And it's I not think a bad ERA and whip. It's not, it's like a bad it's ERA and whip. It, it is. It was, bad. it was a bad whip. It's below average, but it's not like, it's not like the, the, what you're going to get from guys you stream off oh, the waiver wire. God, the excuses made for Chris Archer is just, and, and his, no, I mean, like look his where whip, he finishes every year. I, I will let's, tell let's, you let's, where he let's finishes. Let's look at his whip before last year. Yeah, 1.24. Okay, his, his career whip is 1.24. That's not that good. That's that, not bad. That's, that's not that a is plus. definitively not In the bad. category. 2017. Okay, the, the worst. Ca- Go ahead. The worst case scenario is he's probably not helping you in ERA and whip. Right. That's not a bad scenario uh, when there's pitchers whose worst case scenario is they don't make 15 starts. I think that uh, uh, ahead of him. Yeah. By the way, he threw 148 in a third and had off-season her- he hernia hurt. surgery. So, um, yeah. So, throwing out last. last year was weird for a lot of reasons. Yeah, yeah, it was but bad. The, okay, that's fine. Two years I, prior. I think that um, I feel like Heath. I, I sort of would just take your pitching strategy and maybe get one more pitcher in the like Tanaka range to make me feel a little bit better well, about my my numbers. But oh, isn't well, Tanaka Chris Archer? He's going a little later than I thought. Maybe like someone in the Jose Barrios range in like the 80s. Isn't Jose Barrios Chris Archer? No, I think Barrios could be a lot better than Chris Archer. But he Chris oh, Archer could be a lot better than Chris Archer. Okay, he hasn't been Jose better Barrios than Chris hasn't Archer. Been that the, much better. Well, no, he but Jose it's Barrios been hasn't three been years. that much better. It's been three years. I know, but it's Jose been two Barrios. years for Jose Barrios. It, Plus the Chris, third year, Chris, you're not really, listening to me. really bad. You're not listening to me. Yeah, he's, but it hasn't been like super good. It's been in the three eight right. range. It's good. Yeah, no, Archer. I, I are think, we saying Archer can't be in the three eight range? I think Brios. Uh, All right, so let's get off. Eight. Let's get off Archer because maybe he's a great value, and that's it. This is not about Chris Archer. This is just about when you're drafting starting pitchers. Before I get to that upside downside range, guys who like Pavetta, who haven't really proven it, but obviously have great upside. I think I'd like to have three pitchers. Before I start picking uh, from that range, that's the I guess that's the only but, difference I could think of. Like, right. but but that's that's, yeah. that's the point I think is that those mid the, the early mid range pitchers, the guys after the aces, are upside downside guys too. Yeah, like, we're, we're talking about Jose Barrios as if he's not. No, we're talking no, about Jameson, we're not. and I love Jamison Tyone. I I I think Zach Wheeler can be really good, but these are all upside downside guys. Like if we're talking about the difference between a Chris Archer and a Jose Barrios is what two tenths of a run of expected ERA? All right, over so the course please, of the please stop with Chris Archer because he's different. No, but, but, that, no, but, but then he's a great value. Of a larger that, point, then either. he's a great value. Then Chris Archer himself is a great value, and people should target him. I will give you but, that, even as the guy who's down on Chris Archer, he's a great value. But if you compare Jamison Tyone and Jose Barrios to Nick Pavetta and Robbie Ray and Cole Hamels, guys like that, I think that there's more of a difference. I think that this is a more valid conversation. I'd like to have. A little more safety, yeah. and, and still yeah. plenty of upside with Tyone and Barrios uh, as my are, third those guy. Are different tiers. Yeah, I, so I, I'd like three there. I, I mean, if, Go ahead, Scott. Scott. Yeah, I mean, Barrios and Tyone just do what they did last year. Obviously, they're must starts. When a guy like Robbie Ray with major control issues, with major home run issues, mm-hmm. um, you know, you're you're asking him to make a a, a leap forward. So that I, I, I agree with that. My third starting pitcher. Um, it tends to be somebody like Herman Marquez if I can get him at what I feel is a good value, or Chris Archer if I can get him at what I feel like it's a good value. And if it's not them, then it usually ends up being somebody like Cole Hamels or Jay Happ, who I feel like are right there in terms of um, innings 
and strikeouts. They're just, they fall just a little short of the ace tier, but I, I know I can count on them for, uh, for accumulating the innings and the strikeouts. There's at least enough promise there and they showed it last year that I, I think they can kind of, they can kind of mimic ace production just at a slightly lower level. And, uh, obviously they have good teams backing them that, uh, allows them to hopefully win a decent number of games too. I would love to look back at the ADP last year because I would guess once you get past whatever X number of ace pitchers there are, I would guess the number of guys who are just flat out busts is probably 50% or higher throughout, like starting at like 20 and beyond. I would bet it's about that high. Well, I think you gotta, you gotta find the guys you like. You know, I, I like Tyone. I, Barrios, actually, the funny thing is he reminds me a lot of Chris Archer. He gives up so many home runs on the road. He's exactly what Archer Adam! with the Rays. No more Chris so Archer. I shouldn't have Come mentioned on. him. But, like, we haven't said Zach Wheeler. We haven't said Luis Castillo. Like, he's a guy I would take as my number three starter um, before I get to the more risky range. I think range. Nick Pavetta. Oh, he is, he is Nick Pavetta and Shane Bieber. No, like, Luis Castillo has had much better results. Much better results than those guys. He had one half season that was better. No, he had one bad. He had like the first 10 starts of last year were bad. Everything else has been really damn good for him. Uh, last 25 starts, he had a 357 ERA. Last 14 starts, he had a 263 ERA. You cannot, see, this is what bothers me about you stats people. You cannot tell me that Luis Castillo is Nick Pavetta when Luis okay. Castillo Adam? has performed so Adam? much better than Nick Pavetta. Adam. Adam. Chris. I'm going to read six numbers. Okay. I want you to tell me what they are. Well, ERA matters, but go ahead. 7,850, 3.48, 6.75, 2.25, 5.57, 1.09. I have no idea. I know. I know. No idea. It's really obvious. You just told us a really neat story about Luis Castillo where the last 25 starts he had a 347 ERA. And the last 11 starts he had a 267 ERA. No, wrong. Those were his month by month. Whatever the... Whatever the the numbers were, those were his month by month. Oh, ERA. are you forgetting about 2017? So when, t- so when you tell me he's had, so when you tell me he's had a sustained amount of success he's, he's that Nick a, Pavetta can't match, I didn't say Nick Pavetta. I, I, three of, of I did, six months last. Chris, I did not say that Nick Pavetta cannot match that. I'm saying you're forgetting about 2017. Luis Castillo came up and was great against a very daunting schedule. He has accomplished a lot more than Nick Pavetta has. I th- no I, question I was about the, that. I was I was the first person to tell you about Luis Castillo. There's no question. I Luis Castillo right, so from find, my womb. Find the guys you like. It doesn't matter. You know, you can listen to whoever you want. Find the guys you like, but but you know there. I'm just saying I'd invest a little earlier in my number three starting pitcher. Um and I we lo- and we got off track with that. Final <laughs> I just, thoughts. I think the point is the, the attrition rate outside of the aces is so high that yeah, you can target the guys you want, but there's I a mean, pretty good chance. You're so doom and gloom bust. with pitchers though. You're always like pitchers are always hurt. Pitchers suck. You can never find good like you're so doom and gloom. What a terrible pessimistic I'm not. I love out. a lot you know, of the low he's taking now is I love he was the guy who passed up all the aces left. I love a lot of low end pitchers. And they yeah. all blew up in his face. Yeah, I like, love a lot of low end pitchers. Uh, but uh, Pitchers do get hurt. Like it's like so do hitters. Forty to fifty percent. Yeah. Right, but it's a much lower rate. Yeah, I. It they just, go on the DL about half just, as often as starting pitchers. I don't know. It's like to to wait so long and to bank your entire your so much of your pitching staff on upside. No, you already have risky. two starters. Nobody's saying yeah, that. We're talking so about much the third starter. Staff. 
Yeah, but you're talking about third starters who haven't accomplished anything yet in the big leagues. That you're just hoping That's for their point. upside. By the way, I have Castillo and Pavetta ranked right next to each other. You could just take Castillo <laughs> instead of Pavetta where I said to take Pavetta. All right. That's a great way to end the show. So, um, thank you guys. A little uh, shorter today, but, uh, we'll, uh, we'll have a longer show, I'm pretty sure, tomorrow. And we'll get through a lot more in average draft position. We haven't gotten through anything in average draft position. Thanks a lot for listening. Email us at fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Once we're done with the position previews, we're going to get some more of your emails. Fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. I want to thank Keith. I want to thank Scott. Bye, Chris. And see you later, listeners. We'll talk to you on Tuesday with Starting Pitchers Part 2.